morning. How are y'all doing? So today is my 365th day of being a priest. I now no longer have the newbie excuse of making mistakes. That was exactly one year ago today that I was ordained a priest. And yesterday we celebrated our uh, priesthood ordinations. We now have a new priest in the diocese, Father Scott Vanderveer. Keep him in prayers as he goes through what is a whirlwind of a weekend. But I was reminded of something. I, I just, well, first of all, it's a lot more enjoyable going through an ordination when you're not the one being ordained. <laughs> I tend to remember a lot more of yesterday than I do my own. Um, but there's this aspect of it that, that's fascinating. I'm going to come join you guys for a second. morning. How many of you have ever been to an ordination? Anyone? No? Alright. You should. It's an amazing experience. But there's this part of the ordination that's always astounded me. And it's that before you're ordained, you sit with the people. And you have to be called up by name. It's a wonderful example of your vocation as a call from both God and the church. And it's a humbling experience because you're sitting there and you hear your name called out. James Michael Taylor. That's right, my name is James Taylor. Make your jokes as you will. <laughs> James Michael Taylor. And you stand up and you say present. And it's humbling because the bishop will ask the representative of the church, do you know him to be found worthy? And I'm sitting there going, no. <laughs> But Father Walsh, the representative for, all, uh, for the church, stands up and says, After inquiry among the Christian people, and after much deliberation, we have found these candidates to be worthy of priesthood. And again, you're thinking, no. But the next thing you know is you find yourself walking up, somehow not tripping over your own garments, and standing in the sanctuary. And as I reflected upon this, as I saw now Father Scott Vanderveer do the same thing I had done last year, I tried to figure out in my mind what causes a man in his right mind to do this. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's really comfortable, especially our pews. Our pews are very comfortable, right? They're nice, they have little cushions. Some pews, not so much, you know? It's very comfortable sitting in the pew. Why would someone, why would a guy want to get out of the pew and come stand up here? There's a professor of mine at seminary, Father Lodge, used to be like, well, it's long hours, low pay, no wife, why can't we sell this thing? <laughs> what would make a guy do this? And the short of the answer is, because Christ said to. It's really hard to argue with him. I did. For many years, I really did put up a good fight. But him being all-knowing, he kind of cheats in an argument. It's not really cheating, I know. It's because Christ calls you. It's because the one who willingly did that asked to make, asked some of us, all of us actually, to make a sacrifice. And that kind of gets out of crux of the matter. We're going to talk about that for a second. We talk about the priesthood shortage. First of all, in America, we're actually doing pretty good. In places in South America and Africa where vocations are actually booming, there's still about one priest for every two to 3,000 people. In America, it's about one per 1,100. We're doing okay. It's just not what we're used to here. So we're doing okay. We could do better, of course. We should be. But it's not as horrible as everyone's making it out to be. The second thing, don't come to me and talk to me if, oh, if only priests got, could get married. First of all, that hurts. 
I gave up a sacrifice for the church. The church says, we need priests, and we need you to make a sacrifice to do it. So don't come to me and say, well, thanks, but we don't really appreciate your sacrifice. It'd be like saying, giving someone a free horse, and then be like, well, thanks, but I really wanted a miniature pony. Of course you wanted a miniature pony. They're adorable, but you got a free horse. <laughs> no, that analogy doesn't make sense, but go with me on it. Because the issue isn't about whether priests could get married or not. The issue is whether we're willing to make a sacrifice for the faith. Whether this faith is worth changing one's life for. How many of you know a Mormon? Alright. I remember growing up in Georgia, there was a Mormon church down the street. And uh, there was a lot of Mormons that um, I grew up with at school and such. And um, one of the things that I was amazed by, um, but that we all were, was how seriously they took their faith. And I think this is one of the things, especially if you ever go out to Utah, you find it most notably. Um, their stores are closed on Sunday. And I'm not talking about like the mom and pop stores. I mean like Staples and Walmart are closed on Sunday because all their workers are Mormon. And Sunday is family day. Monday night, actually, is family day. There's no activities on Monday nights because it's family day. They go to church on Sunday. They go home. They, they spend hours at church. They go from like 9 to like noon with either Sunday school, Bible study, and then church. And then they go home and they spend time watching each other, which is, must make for epic Sunday night football time. And a lot of times people will look at that and go, that's great. They have this strong family. They have this strong faith. It permeates their life. They, they, they don't drink uh, caffeinated beverages. Uh, they don't drink alcohol. They, they have this very strict regimen that they go with. And it permeates their life. But the thing is, is it could be our faith as well. But a lot of times we try to treat our faith as a relish. Like just something we kind of put on the top that kind of adds flavor to the rest of our day-to-day -day life. And we have to reverse it. It can't be the, the, the spice, it has to be the essence. It has to be the very marrow, the, the very the being, core of our day-to-day -day life. It could be where all of our businesses are closed on Sunday and it's a family day. That's our decision. A third of this region, apparently, is Catholic. Yeah. According to statistics, though, imagine if a third of people just stopped shopping on Sunday. And that's just Catholics. Imagine if all the Christians in this area said, no, on Sunday, we're not going to work or force others to work. We're going to make it a family day. Businesses would close. It's not profitable for them. They're profitable because we keep going to them. Same with our... Um, our activities, soccer clubs, football, uh, baseball, whatever it is. If parents just said, no, Sunday's a family day, guess what? They would stop having things on Sunday because they need the kids to have the team. But we, we forget. Our faith has to be transformative. It has to be the very essence of our life. There can't be just a one hour a week thing. It has to be every day. It has to be a part of it. And that's partly of why the gift of celibacy is called that. It's a gift. It's to remind us that Christ really can be everything. That you can give up everything that the world says you should be pursuing and still be happy. So that when you aren't called to give up everything, you're reminded of how many more blessings it is. That in addition to the life that you've been given to praise God and to serve one another in love and holiness, 
You've also been given the gift of a family, of beautiful children, of a great career that has allows you the dignity of work. All of these things are just added bonuses and graces and blessings that God gives us. But they're not the focus of a... They're not the point of life. The point of life is God. Does that make sense? Because we forget this. And it's important that priests make a sacrifice. Because otherwise, when we have to get up and preach hard things, people can go, well, why is he doing this? Is it just to be popular? Or is it just to be... Uh, to have more stuff? I mean, there's plenty of churches and denominations where the pastor drives a Mercedes-Benz and has a large house and has everything that the world can have to offer. And then you start to preach an easy gospel because you don't want to interrupt that, that thing. But what is Paul continually getting at? In Galatians, the very passage that we had here today, there's a reason that Paul goes into that. Earlier, he, was, he, he berates the Galatians. He calls them idiots. He calls them fools. He chastises them for giving up the gospel of Christ. Falling rather, rather wanting to rely on their own works rather than in the grace and faith in Christ Jesus. And he says, at the end of that first chapter, he says, am I still seeking to please man or to please God? And then in this, our second reading, he goes on and he says, listen, I didn't receive this faith from men. This is not man-made. Rather, it was born out of his encounter with Christ. After much years of prayer, we kind of pass over that. It took him three years after his encounter with Christ before he felt ready to go and be an apostle. Three years. He had to go and pray in the desert to try to figure out what this faith meant. And then he came back and he was on fire. He was ready to go. And he went and he told everyone about the sacrifices he made so that they, in their day-to-day -day lives, could be made richer. He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, we are as fools compared to you. You are held as wise where we are made fools. We are beaten and mocked while you live lives of ease. So that in our witness you might know that Christ is sufficient. In Philippians chapter 3, he says that of all the things that he could have had, he counts all of them as lost compared to what Christ has given him. Our faith is sufficient. It needs to be every day. And we need to accept it fully. There was a, when I became Catholic, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a, a promise that you have to make. Do you hold and believe everything that the Catholic Church teaches and professes? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you could say the same thing today? That you hold and believe everything that the Catholic Church holds as true. And I would be willing to bet that we wouldn't get 100% on that question. But why? Do you think that it was man-made? Or do you think that it was given from God? Let us put it this way. This man named Jesus was raising people from the dead. If he had only done that alone, wouldn't that be worth following him? Then he claimed to be the Son of God. Certainly worth following. And then he did that. So what could he ask us to do? Or in what life could he live us, ask us to live that comes close to that? So is our faith man-made or is it from God? And the thing is that some of us don't know. Some of us think it was just arbitrary rules. Which is why I keep asking you guys and pleading with you guys and begging with you guys. Read the scriptures. Find out for yourself. 
Start with the Gospels. Find out what Christ actually said. So that when I get up here and I preach something that is harsh to the ears, it's hard for you to hear. If it's on divorce, on the nature of marriage, or on the sanctity of life, or on any number of things, and you're like, oh, this it's just his opinion. No, find out, make sure. Read the scripture, start with the gospels, read the catechism. Know the faith so that no matter who gets up here, you'll know the faith. Because this faith is transformative. Christ didn't ask us to be good. He asked us to be holy. And that requires a certain humility on our part. We can't go through this just making it up as we go along. We have to be humble before God. Bow our will to His will. I'm going to close with this. It's a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's one of those that keeps haunting you as a priest. Paul's writing to Timothy who he just anointed as a bishop of the church that Timothy is in charge of. And he says this, I, Paul, charge you, Timothy, before God and Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead by His coming and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, entreat, rebuke in all patience and doctrine. For there shall come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will seek out teachers that please their own ears. And they will turn away their hearing from the truth, but be, they will be turned to fables. But you must be vigilant. Labor in all things. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill thy ministry. Be sober. For I am even now ready to be sacrificed. The time of my dissolution is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. One year into it. Hopefully many more to go. And I got to preach the word in season and out of season. So that hopefully at the end of this, after 50 odd years of priesthood, I can say the words of Paul, I have fought the fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. May we all be so fortunate to be able to say so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.